So we're in a little series at the moment looking at how Jesus interacted with different people. Uh, different people from different places, uh, different places in society. And today, as you'll see, our subject heading is Jesus and the Oppressed. And I don't know about you, but when I was given that title, I thought I'd I better look up and see what oppressed actually means before I set off down some track and get it completely wrong. So uh, what I learned was this, and I'll share it with you. So oppressed in the dictionary means this, someone or a people or a group, a person who is subject to a burdensome or harsh exercise of authority and power. You get the picture, some, some heavy oppression, some harsh authoritarian treatment. That's what, that's what uh, oppressed means. And we're going to find out how Jesus dealt with someone like that in our uh, scripture passage this morning that Steve's already referred to. It's in Mark chapter 5, if you've got your tablet or Bible or device or whatever, it will come up on the screen. We're going to read from Mark 5 verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was at the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed, and they pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You can see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. Yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What a great story. What a great encounter. It's probably very familiar to many of us. Now, I don't know what you're like with crowds. Some people love them, some people hate them. The first time I experienced a big crowd was the very first time I went to a football match. I'd just gone to Durham, and a friend of mine who was a local called Brian offered to take me to St. James's Park, a temple in the north of England. It's a very long way away. <clears throat> and he offered to take me to see Newcastle United versus Manchester City in a very early round of the FA Cup. Now, this was a very long time ago, uh, and it was in the days when you stood on the terraces. Anybody old enough to remember that here? Oh, one or two, yes. 
you stood on the terraces in this crowd. So the crowds were huge. There probably were 50, 60,000 people in this crowd. And being in the crowd was amazing. It was like being in a living sea. You were all like this. And when something happened, the crowd surged forward. And you all moved forward. And when then the, when it, the crowd went back, there was this like constant movement. It was very exciting. And everyone was focused on the match. The thing is, I don't actually remember anything about the match. I don't even remember the score. Because in the middle of that great big crowd, I had a personal mini-drama. And that's what I remember. You see, at one point, I think somebody must have scored. I never found out. But everyone moved forward, and everyone's arms went up. And somebody knocked my glasses off. Now, my wife will tell you, actually, I can see hardly anything without my glasses. You are just a wonderful blur. And I shouted to my friend, Brian, my glasses! And in a haze, I saw Brian, it was like he took a deep breath and he disappeared into this sea of people. And after what seemed like an eternity, I could just make out about three or four yards away, Brian emerged and his arm went up and my glasses were in his hand. And with a look of triumph, he made his way back to me and he gave me my glasses that were completely, perfectly okay. (laughs) Now, I would have to say, I listened to the news, I listened to everything else, there was no mention of it. (laughs) They were all bothered about something else. But I can tell you, that was the only thing that I remember from that day. And my mate, Brian, God bless him. Now, you know, it's a bit like that in this story. You know, the crowd is often not aware of what is going on in a personal life. The crowd can be oblivious to what is happening at an individual level. Oh, I forgot to ask. I had a little picture to show you. There it is. It was sort of like that a very long time ago in a galaxy far away. I think that's actually a bit older than it was. Anyway, I digress. Jesus comes across the lake. This great crowd gathers. We can go on there if that's right. So I want to fill in a little bit about the backstory, if that's okay. In the crowd, there is a desperate man called Jairus. He's well respected. He's a local leader in the synagogue. He has it all. But it's all of no use because his little daughter is dying. Luke tells us his only daughter is dying. And he comes, he doesn't stand on ceremony, he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he begs, please Lord, come, lay your hands on her so that she'll live. And Jesus clearly realizes it's an urgent situation. There's no discussion, there's no, it just says, and Jesus went. Thing was, so did the crowd. So this crowd Try and imagine it, actually. This, this was a crowd with all sorts of emotion running through it. This was not a church picnic or an amble by the lake. This is a, a crowd that's following Jesus on an urgent mission of mercy. There's some need to get there. 
She is dying. She was dying when he left. If they don't get there soon, she may die before they get there. They are moving along as quickly as they can. I don't know what you're like. Uh, I had this notion in our family when we were trying to get somewhere that if I kind of walked slightly in front of everybody, some sort of magnetic field or something would draw them along after me. I've got to say it never worked. It didn't stop me doing it. Uh, you know, what, what was going on in this crowd? Was Jairus at the front trying to hurry them up? Was he with Jesus trying to sort of chivy him along? Anxious, fretting, thrilled that Jesus is coming but wondering if they're going to get there in time. The crowd wondering what's going to happen. What will Jesus do? And in the middle of all this, in the middle of all this tension and urgency and expectation and crowd, it turns out there's another desperate person. Another person who is in desperate need of help from Jesus. So let's introduce this character, the woman. This was a woman who was ill. She was sick. She'd been sick for a long time. She had this problem. We don't know exactly what it was, but she was bleeding constantly for 12 long years. The Greek word that is used, the commentary tell us, implies a scourge, a whiplash, a torment. This is not some headache this woman has got. This woman is sick. And her problems didn't just start and end there. Physically, she would have been weak. She would have been weary. She suffered a long time. She suffered awful treatments. If you're of a strong disposition, you can look up some of the treatments they used to use. But let me just say here, with our modern knowledge, none of them would have done any good. But many of them were really, really unpleasant. She wasn't getting better. She was getting worse. The future was bleak. Financially, she was impoverished. Mark tells us she'd spent everything she had trying this cure and that cure. She'd run out of money. She was running out of hope. Perhaps almost as bad, socially, she had real problems. The law in Leviticus has some rules regarding the sort of illness she had. And the, the teachers and the law, they'd actually written extra books extra books that were just about the different conditions and circumstances that made that she would be ritually unclean, unable to take part in worship, socially excluded. If she touched someone, they would become unclean because she was unclean. Try and imagine that. It's hard for us, isn't it, in our society. If she touched someone, they would become unclean, even if she touched their clothes. And they didn't want to touch her because they knew what would happen. She was a woman who was excluded, and 12 years is a long time. She is a woman who lived under oppression, the oppression of sickness, the oppression of poverty, the oppression of a system that was bearing down on her, burdensome, and that excluded her from life. But, and that's the great news, isn't it? There's always a but with God. She had heard of Jesus. And something in her responded. So she decides to seek out Jesus and to, to, to get healed. She kept saying to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So she goes to where Jesus is. Perhaps the first time she's been in a crowd for a long time. 
and she started to push her way through the crowd. Now that won't be easy. This was not a British queue in Waitrose. <laughs> this was a gaggle of people, remember, urgently moving along. And she's a weak woman. And she's pushing, trying to get around this person, getting barged out of the way by that person, trying to get to Jesus. And eventually she gets to just behind him. She can see him and she's trying to stretch out her hand and it gets knocked away. And then finally, she just reaches out. She just probably manages to touch a fringe of a cloak that he was wearing that they used to wear. Immediately, immediately, she feels it in her body. She's healed. It's stopped. She's whole. Twelve years. Twelve years of trying everything she could and in a moment, in a moment, she touches Jesus and it's gone. Amazing, amazing story. Now, (laughs) I would have probably stopped it there if it was me. It's a great testimony, isn't it? How about that? What a marvelous story. But there's more. And I just want to point to you to three small things about what happened next. Because, see, this isn't the end of the story. In fact, it's actually just the beginning. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is simply this, that Jesus noticed. Jesus notices. Just as the woman well, I wonder what it was like. Did she stop? Did she fall to the ground? She must have been just, oh, maybe she just stopped still. The crowd surged on around her. She was overwhelmed, I imagine. But her, her feelings must have turned to horror at what happens next. Because suddenly, Jesus stops. <laughs> Chaotic. The, the place comes to a standstill. There's people saying, what's going on? Boom, boom, boom. They're all bumping into each other. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And then Jesus comes out with this great line. Who touched my clothes? Oh, come on. The disciples think Jesus has lost it. Come on, Lord, there's there's hundreds of people around here. But you mean, who touched my clothes? Touched my clothes. See, Jesus was conscious. He noticed that there was something going on. The Bible says he felt that power had gone out for him. Jesus noticed what no one else in the crowd did. No one else. He was aware, sensitive to what the Holy Spirit was doing. Just as he walked through this crowd, suddenly he's aware something has happened. Maybe you feel insignificant today. Maybe there are people here, for whatever reason, who feel you're just one in the crowd just an ordinary guy, just a mum at home, just a number in the great system that we've got. I want to encourage you today to reach out to Jesus, just as we have been as we worship. Reach out to Jesus because Jesus notices. Jesus notices. Maybe you're here, you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you're exploring. I want to encourage you. God notices You know, in the Old Testament, there was a woman called Hagar. She wasn't in a great place. You can read the story in Genesis 16. She ends up pregnant, thrown out into the wilderness. She thinks she's going to die, and she has an encounter with God. You know what she says? She says to him, you are the God who sees. We have a God who sees. 
The psalmist says, the Lord, the Lord is exalted, and we've been worshiping him this morning. He looks kindly on the lowly. That's the heart of God that Jesus is showing us. We as Christians, if you're a Christian here this morning, we who want to follow Jesus, I think there's a real challenge just in this first bit to us, which is to be conscious of what the Holy Spirit is doing. To be people who notice when the Holy Spirit starts to do something. To be in tune. There's the challenge. Who, who are the oppressed in your world and my world? Who is there that's reaching out in some way to God? Do I notice? Can I see? You know, I was challenged a couple of weeks ago uh, just listening to Becky, I think it was, giving a notice. You know, maybe, actually, I need to get out into the crowd a bit more. Jesus would never have found this woman in the synagogue where they were all safe and worshipping. Jesus found this woman and she found him because he was out in the crowd. Maybe we need to get out more where the crowd is. Maybe we need to get out where the healing on the streets team goes, where the soup service goes, where the street pastors goes, where the cap clients are, where the basics bank will be, where the ark is. Maybe we need to get out in the crowd and be listening out to the voice of the Spirit and notice where is the Holy Spirit at work. Second thing I would notice. So Jesus notices the unnoticed. The second thing I wanted to say was Jesus has time. It's a precious commodity in our world today, isn't it? We're all busy. We're all booked up. Jesus has time. Jesus didn't just notice the woman. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. He would not get a job in the NHS, I venture to suggest. Now, I'm not a medical man, but I think I know what triage is. So when you go to A&E, they look at you and they say, okay, well, he's worse than you, uh, but you're worse than him. So we'll see him first and you next and him next. That's sort of how it goes, isn't it? So Jesus is there. He's got a girl, 12 years old. She's on the point of dying. He's got a woman. Well, she's been ill for 12 years. The other day, not going to make any difference, is it? That's how my heart would see it. Where would you go? Stop for the woman, go for the girl. Besides which, she's healed. So I would say, woman healed, Jesus keeps going, gets there just in time, heals the girl, two healings, get it on Facebook, it's a great testimony. <laughs> Jobs are good. <laughs> well, God doesn't think like I think. God's understanding of time is not my understanding of time. Jesus stops for this woman. This anonymous, outcast, nobody, Jesus stops for. And that's an outrageous truth about God. Let me tell you, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian here this morning, let me tell you, that's an outrageous thing about God. The God of the universe stops and pays attention to anonymous nobodies. Wonderful. That's good news. It's wonderful. Jesus has time for you this morning. I know we're all frightfully busy, but I want to tell you, he has time for you. You may think he's got a lot on running the universe. 
you may think that he's got people who's, who need more than you do. So maybe they should go first. I want you to know God has got time for you this morning. So reach out to him. Reach out to him. I know I can get very focused. Fran tells me that. Very focused on what I'm doing. I'm doing this. Don't distract me. Don't distract me. I'm not going to do anything else. I might even be rude sometimes, apparently. I know you can't believe that. Jesus lived in constant communion with the Holy Spirit. So he was always ready to be interrupted by what the Father was doing. I remember before we came, I started stalking the church on the, on the web. I used to listen to your preaches every week. And I remember hearing uh, Steve uh, preaching when you were doing something about neighbors. And it really struck me, uh, I think his illustration. He said, you're just coming out, you're just on your way to church on Sunday, and your neighbors come out and they start to chat. What do you do? Sorry, I'm on my way to church. Sorry, I'm on my way to meet God. Or do you actually stop and talk? Are they reaching out to you? We should listen to the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do. God's ways and timing are not always the same as ours. Now, I've got a little plea. If you all turn up late next Sunday, I'm going to be in terrible trouble. So please do listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, and please don't blame me. (laughs) Jesus had time for this woman, and he gave her attention. He should have rebuked her. She shouldn't have been in the crowd. She shouldn't have been touching him. But Jesus has another agenda. Because Jesus had another purpose and it demanded more of this woman. My last point. Jesus demands more. I don't believe that Jesus stopped because he didn't know what was going on. I don't believe he stopped to show off to the crowd that this woman had been healed. I believe he stopped for her. He certainly didn't stop for Jairus. Goodness knows what he was feeling. Jesus stopped, I believe, because although the woman had what she wanted, she didn't have what she needed. She got what she came for, but Jesus had something more for her. She knows what's happened, and suddenly her world is upside down. From being outcast and outside, she's suddenly the focus of attention. Who touched my clothes? And she, in the end, comes forward. The scriptures tell us, trembling with fear, she tells him the whole truth. She tells him everything. It's almost as if something overcame her fears and drew her out, and she, she couldn't hold back. She told Jesus everything. And Jesus speaks compassionately, simply, but I believe with great significance. Just this one little bit he says to her. The first thing he says to her, she she told him the truth. She must be wondering, what's she going to say? And the first thing he says to her is, daughter, daughter. Do you know that's the only time Jesus uses that, uh, that phrase? Daughter. His first word to her is one of relationship, is one of family, is one of gathering in. That must have been a wonderful balm to her soul, a wonderful thing for her to hear. You can imagine her fears just starting to melt a little bit. Oh, if she's starting like that, 
what's he going to say? Daughter, daughter, you're in the family. Daughter, he says, then he commends her faith. Your faith, it's your faith. It's not, you know, touching, you know, my garment. It's your faith, your trust in me. He commends her, as Jesus often commended faith. And he, he confirms her healing. Your faith has made you whole. Your trust in me has made you whole. And then he blesses her. Go in peace. Don't be frightened. Don't be fearful. Go in peace. And finally, wonderfully, be freed from your suffering or your curse as the word is. I believe that speaks of her being more than healed. He'd already said she was healed. But her life was now going to take a different course and a different shape. She'd come to find healing. She'd found something else. You know, my friends, God is not a cosmic slot machine. Put your money in, get out what you need. God's not like that. God is a father with a father's heart. That's what Jesus is showing us here. You will get more, I will get more than I ever dared to believe that I would get from him. He knows our needs, the obvious ones and the not so obvious ones. He knows our deeper needs. She came for healing, she got healing, but she discovered a relationship, peace and freedom. Jesus stopped because the woman had what she wanted, but she didn't have all that he wanted to give her. Second best wasn't good enough. And again, that illustrates the heart of God to us. He's not too busy with those who might be important to notice the humble. That's an amazing truth. Today, you can grab God's attention. Think about that. How mind-blowing is that? the God of the universe, you can grab his attention. And if that doesn't frazzle your mind, we can all grab his attention at the same time. How about that? Intimately. How does that work? I, I can't get my head around it. I, can, I think of sort of telephone exchanges where you can sort of plug in, but it just doesn't compute. We can arrest the attention of God as we reach out to him in faith, all of us, each of us, because God responds to all who come to him. I need to note, because it's important, we won't read the rest of the story and it's a subject of a different day, but Jairus didn't lose out. He did go through a really tough moment because the next piece, the next verse is, the news comes that actually while Jesus has stopped talking to this woman, his daughter has died. Now at that moment for Jairus, how do you compute that? How do you work that out? Well, the only thing you can do is what Jesus tells him to do, is to trust God. Jesus said to him, don't fear, only believe. Because the timing doesn't work out. It doesn't make sense. How can that happen and this happen and that not happen? Because that's happened. Trust God. God has enough for us all. We're not a poor family because we've got a rich father. 
So I don't have to compete with you. I don't have to worry that if I get what I need or I don't get what I need or you get what you need, I'm not going to get it because there isn't enough to go around. There's more than enough. There's more than enough. Riches of mercy and of grace and of life and wholeness. More than enough for all of us. No exceptions, no favoritism. And that's the challenge just as we draw to a close that's a challenge to my heart as someone who wants to follow Jesus which is to love like he loved so Jesus shows me how God loves that's wonderful and challenges me to love like he loves and I need to know I need to repent my heart is not like God's heart my heart can be narrow and closed and cold sometimes and I need God I can't love like God loves I can't do it. Except that there's this Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, I can begin to learn to love like God loves. I'm not there. I don't suppose you are. But I'm on a path and Jesus helps us to love. How does he help us? Well, I think a clue is in that wonderful little phrase you see in the Bible. We love because he first loved us. That's how it works. See, I, I, I don't know what love is, really. I'm selfish and, and all those other things. But actually, I've discovered this. I've found a love. I've found how God loves me. And wow, that's what love is. And because he loves me, I can love. And that's true, isn't it? You see, in some ways, this woman's story is my story and your story. This woman's story is all our story. You see, I was an untouchable as far as God was concerned. I had this sickness the Bible calls sin. I'd had it a long time, ever since I'd been born. And it, it impacted my whole life. It, it, it changed my life. It made things messed up. It made everything I touched contaminated. That's what sin does. But I heard about Jesus and I had an encounter and I trust you have had an encounter with Jesus where instead of me contaminating him with my sin and my dirt he contaminated me with his life hallelujah <laughs> yeah the life that was at work in him overcame the death that was at work in me and suddenly I'm I'm healed of I'm healed I'm restored and he speaks to me in words of family and he speaks to me in words of affirmation and he speaks to me in words of peace and he says I'm free you see her story really is all our story and though her circumstances might be very different from mine I'm actually no different really to her a man who was desperately in need who found when I touched Jesus I got so much more than I bargained for I need to remember how God has loved me where's James and Ellen can we, can we have the band back as we just draw to a close are they here oh yes good <laughs> this movement I find I need to constantly remember the love of God because it, what it does is it keeps my heart soft because my heart kind of hardens up if I'm not careful. And 
I'm just so blessed. I've been thinking this last few weeks. There's a wonderful scripture that encourages us to do this. It's from 1 John 3, where the writer says this, See what sort of love the Father has lavished on us. How about that? Look at it. See what sort of love this is that he has lavished on. He's ladled it on with a spade. If you can ladle something on with a spade. He's just poured his love on us. See what kind of love it is that we, me, you, should be called the children of God. And in case you haven't got it, that is what we are. That's what we are. It's an amazing love that impacts us and through us reaches out to others so that we can show the love of God to them. Grace, the knowledge of God's love, keeps my heart soft and adjusts what I see when I look at someone else. It adjusts what I see when I look at someone else. I think it would be good if we can bring this to a close, worshipping our wonderful Father and our glorious Jesus, just as we have been doing all this morning. Isn't it good to, to just be in his presence, to know we can run to him? Isn't that what the world needs to hear? There's a Father that you can run to. There are arms that are open wide to you.